So Saskia, I want to start with kind of a softball question for you. What's taking you guys so long to figure out the brain? Uh, yeah, so that's really the big question. I think there's a lot of factors to it. You know, a lot of it is that we're poking around in the pile of tissue that you have to kind of figure your way around and figure out how to access things. It's kind of well hidden by this really big piece of bone. And so gaining access to the brain and then gaining access to the brain in an informative way are two challenges that are related but aren't exactly the same thing. And so there's been a lot of technology, and even in recent years, there's, I think, been a huge acceleration of technological advances that have really helped us to better map the brain um, and better access neural activity in a variety of different ways. But these are recent, right? And so for years, we were going in with, with these wires to record from single cells, and you, you go in kind of essentially blind where you're putting this wire in the brain, and then you just kind of are like, maybe here's a cell, uh, maybe there's this is a cell. And and, um, you know, it really is a little bit like, you know, fishing in the dark a little bit. Oh, poor Saskia. I mean, if that's your softball question, I'd really hate to hear what your hardball question is. Yeah, I, uh, I like to put my interview subjects on edge right off the bat. That's my interview technique. <laughs> that was uh, Saskia DeVries, a neuroscientist at the Allen Institute. And we're talking today about why it's so hard to understand the brain. I have a tough question for you too, Rob. How does your brain work? Now, this is all about context. If you're talking about my brain before two cups of coffee in the morning or after, I would give you two completely different answers. How many cups of coffee are you running on right now? I have had the requisite two, so I think we're good to go here. Um, so I guess my question back to you is, are you going to tell us the secret of how my brain works? Uh, sorry to disappoint you, but no, I have no idea how your brain works. Neither do I. I'm Rob Piercy. I'm Rachel Tampa. And this is Lab Notes, a podcast from the Allen Institute. When I think about my organs, not that I think about them that often, I feel like I have a good sense about how my heart works. It's a muscle, it contracts, uh, blood pumps in and out, and voila, my body gets oxygen. Now, I'm sure if any cardiologists are listening to this, that's just a massive oversimplification. But my brain, I don't think I can really sum it up. Information gets converted into electricity, and then it bounces around in my skull a bit, and somehow I have a thought. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of things are complicated and hard to explain, though. I, I don't understand quantum physics, but smart physicists out there, they get it. Do neuroscientists understand how the brain works? That's the thing. They don't. Not yet. We've talked to scientists in the past about the big mysteries they're trying to solve about the brain, and there are quite a lot. But for today's Lab Notes episode, I wanted to ask them why there are so many mysteries. Why don't we understand the brain? The pretty much almost one and only thing that neurons do is communicate with some modest number of other neurons. Stephen Smith, another neuroscientist at the Allen Institute, has this perspective. The numbers get out of hand really quick for brains. Um, the number of synapses in one human brain is equal to the number of stars in 5,000 Milky Ways. And then every synapse has something on the order of 100,000 molecular switches in it. And these 100,000 
switches, protein molecules in every synapse communicate a lot with one another. They interact a lot. And then that's in one synapse. And then the, the human has something between 10 to the 14th and 10 to the 15th synapses. Now, um, okay, so there's a lot of complexity. And then to make matters worse, it is intricately arranged in very tight quarters. So the synapse again, there's a billion of them per microliter of brain volume in a human. And remember that each one of those synapses has you know, somewhere between 10 and 100,000 switches in it. So here I go trying to dazzle you with numbers. It's a hard problem. And maybe in two words, the problem can be summed up as it's complicated. What I said could be said about all living things. It could be said about a bacterium. I mean, the numbers aren't you know, quite as astronomical, but we really don't understand bacteria all that well. So, you know, the, uh, the simple way of putting it is that we don't understand brains because they're part of life and life is complicated. And we still don't understand that very well, try as we may have. However, you know, that's the sort of glass half empty view of it. We understand it a lot better than we did a year ago with each passing year. So maybe your assertion that you understand how your heart works isn't entirely accurate then. Right. Stephen's really taking me down a notch there. I also asked Saskia whether the brain is more complicated than other organs. I guess for my, you know, mostly lay person's perspective, I feel like we have a general understanding of like how the heart produces a heartbeat and how it moves blood around your body. But we don't have a general understanding of how the brain produces thoughts and behaviors. That's sort of how I'm thinking about it. The difference between those sentences is we know how a heart produces a heartbeat. We don't know how a brain produces a thought. I don't even know how I would define what a thought is, right? And so I think one of the challenges there is that how do we measure a thought? Um, And so let alone how the brain is creating that thought, how do we measure that? thought? How do we measure memory um, in the moment, right? And so I think that's a little bit part of the challenge is that kind of the the output of, of the brain is more abstract than the output of the heart or the kidney. Our ability to access the brain while animals or humans are engaged in the world um, is, 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 really, um, is really difficult. So the brain is hard to study in action, and it's difficult to define what it does in a tidy sentence. I get it. But it's also legitimately complicated. Bacteria might be complicated, and the human heart is pretty complicated, but the brain is really, really complicated, right? Yes, totally. Like Stephen was saying, it has a lot of parts. The human brain has somewhere around 86 billion neurons, which are not the only cell in our brain, but they're thought to be the main conveyors of information. And we also have this just ridiculously huge number of synapses, the connections between neurons that Stephen was talking about. And there's so much variability among all these cells and all these synapses. Like, say, for example, we had some way to perfectly model a single neuron and all its connections 86 billion times. We still would not be anywhere close to recreating the brain on a computer. It's just so much more complex than that. Here's Christoph Koch, chief scientist of the Allen Institute's MindScope program. 
Oh, it's by far the most complex system humanity has ever been confronted with. So if you're just looking at, a, you know, besides the universe as a whole, but if you're looking at entities like uh, bodies and stars and trees and rocks and, and, and microbes and viruses and planets uh, in its complexity, organisms in general, and in particular the brain sort of being by far, by any metric, the most complex piece of highly organized active matter in the in the universe it's no question about it and all this successful scientific theories that we have they typically deal with highly simplified systems like uh, um, elementary particles or periodic tables or being able to predict the solar eclipses those are all puny simple systems in comparison even with a very small brain let alone a a big brain like ours. Is it just a completely Sisyphean task then to try and understand the brain? Well, hang on. I have another complication for you. So if you're picturing a brain, describe to me what it looks like. Okay. Um, I'm visualizing, I'm holding up two fists right now together in the shape of a brain, something about that size and it's gray and it's wrinkly, just this kind of ball of gray matter. Yeah, so that sounds to me a lot like a, a human brain, and it makes sense that that's the first image that pops into your head because that's your brain, and we're naturally curious about ourselves. The brain is really, more than anything, what makes us who we are, and it's maddening in some ways that we don't understand it yet. How can we understand who we are as humans without understanding the biology of the brain? There are some scientists who think that the focus on the human brain, or even on the mammalian brain, because a lot of neuroscientists study the mouse brain, is too limiting. So get ready to hear about some really different brains. I feel like we need to play some spooky music here now. My main focus day to day is on sensory neurons because I study pain and nociception. Robin Crook is an associate professor at San Francisco State University and a 2021 Allen Distinguished Investigator. The animal she studies is very different from a human. How complicated is the octopus brain? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different ways to, to evaluate neural complexity, isn't there? And so in terms of the number of neurons, the, the octopus nervous system as a whole has half a billion neurons. So that's larger in, in just sheer cell number than a lot of the, the, the non-mammalian vertebrates. To put that in perspective for us mammals, small rodents may have around 100 million neurons, and the lab mouse has a little bit less than that, around 70 million. So octopuses have more than five times as many neurons as a mouse does? I guess that's not so surprising given just how intelligent they are. I think we've all seen those stories and YouTube videos of octopuses who escape their tanks. There was that famous one from a few years back where it gets out of the tank and then makes its way to a drain so it can get out to the ocean. They're really intelligent creatures. Yeah, I feel like we all cheer for the octopus when we see those stories. Right. Can you describe a bit what the cephalopod or the octopus nervous system is like? Um, I mean, when I was reading about it, one thing I was struck by is just how many neurons they have in their arms. So that's really different from us, right? It is. So it's all cephalopods have a centralized brain. Um, they have a very large visual system. So uh, uh, the, the mass of the central brain is actually dwarfed by the optic lobes, which are these very, very large centers um, that are associated with each eye. 
most of the visual information is processed there. The central brain does a fairly small job. But the, the really remarkable thing is the degree to which there is peripheral control of the arms, for example, in octopuses. So two-thirds of the neurons in the octopus nervous system are actually in the arms. They're not in the central brain. And the arms have a series of repeating ganglia all the way along them, and those are responsible for receiving and processing input from each sucker. And then the whole arm has a ganglion, kind of like where we might imagine our, our shoulder joint to be, um, and that communicates processed information from the arm up to the brain and back. Um, and the arms are quite autonomous. So we know from, from a lot of different studies that a lot of the behaviours that the arms perform, so the, the rhythmic crawling behaviour, the grasping of prey, um, the coordination among the arms to some degree is performed without input from the central brain, um, which seems very extraordinary. But in the mammalian nervous system, a lot of processing happens in our spinal cord that we are not aware of. So in some ways, the arm is, is quite analogous to the spinal cord um, in, in its degree of peripheral control. I think we don't, as humans, we don't necessarily appreciate how much of our nervous system is working um, in the spinal cord without our conscious awareness because we're just not thinking about it. Um, so in a lot of ways, an octopus has one brain and eight spinal cords. Okay, so that's just wild. I know. I think we could do a whole podcast episode on the mysteries of our spinal cord and the octopus arm. But let's get back to my brain for a minute. I still want to know how it works. And it sounds like it's really different from an octopus brain. Yes and no. Uh, Robin had an interesting perspective on what octopuses might teach us about ourselves. Will better understanding the octopus brain tell us anything about the human brain? Or is that just way too human-centric a question? I mean, I think it... I think it would, because I think that, you know, when we study the human brain, we tend to study it from the perspective of it being the most perfect brain there is. Um, you know, when we use laboratory rodents, when we use other mammals to study aspects of neuroscience, we're typically approaching that from the perspective of them being simpler, more approachable models of the human brain. But the human brain is obviously not the only one that's out there. It's not the only one that does complicated things. And I think sometimes trying to get at the, the real fundamentals of brain function um, are hard to grasp if you never look beyond one group of animals. It's hard to know if this is a fundamental truth about brain structure or brain function if we never bother to look at a different animal to see if, in fact, it isn't fundamental and perhaps it's something very specific to humans. And so the brains that, that are present in octopuses and humans are obviously completely different. And so if we find similar things, similar circuit functions, similar molecular underpinnings and similar anatomical structures um, that are performing similar computations to produce similar behaviours, I think that says something really interesting about the constraints on our brain and about the way that our brain has come to be. So absolutely, I think we can learn something about mammalian brains from octopus brains. Robin thinks that to understand the brain, we need to understand this kind of brain-shaped box that evolution guided us and the octopus toward, or guided our ancestors toward. And maybe we can't understand fully how our own brains evolved without understanding how these other really complicated but really different animals evolved their brains. Okay, so how are we ever going to understand the brain? Or, I don't know, maybe the question is, are we ever going to understand it? Yeah, I think those are two separate and really important questions. But scientists are making a lot of progress. We know a lot more about the brain now than we did just a few years ago. 
At the beginning of the episode, Saskia was talking about how neuroscience used to involve sticking single electrodes into the brain at random, and the field has so many more options than that now. From her perspective, there are two really important recent advances. One is that we have a much better understanding of the kinds of cells that make up the brain. Our brains have neurons and blood vessels and all these support cells called glia, but there are probably more than 100, if not more, different types of neurons in the brain. And scientists are really pinning down the details of those neuron types in pretty extraordinary ways in the last few years. And you've been at the Allen Institute for longer than I have, but we've both seen this, right? Yeah, I mean, we've gone from studies that were really cutting edge at the time, sorting a few thousand brain cells into types, to more recently, studies that map an entire large region of the brain, the motor cortex, and really getting at the precise types of cells that make up that region, and doing this from several different angles. The other advance is an improvement over recording from neurons with a single electrode. We know that the currency of the brain is, well, electrical currents, pardon the pun. <laughs> Neuroscientists figured out quite a while ago that they could record electrical signals from individual neurons in a living animal and actually see those neurons in action if the animal looked at a picture or had some other experience. And now there are technologies that can record from hundreds or thousands of neurons at a time in a living animal. The one that's being used at the Allen Institute and elsewhere is called NeuroPixels. Here's Christoph talking about this really cool technology. I remember when I got my PhD last century, the last millennium, you know, people typically spend, you know, days recording one nerve cell, right? Today with our NeuroPixel, you know, we can record a thousand or five thousand at a time and do this day in, day out and make all the data available to everyone. All of that was completely unthinkable. So the progress has been Tremendous, but you have to realize, even though there's big progress compared to what we want to achieve, there are 100 billion neurons in the human brain. In the human cortex, there are 16 billion, you know. If we want to even record from a tiny fraction of it, you know, even a million neurons out of 10 billion is a dilution of one in 10,000, right? So we, we're still very far from understanding for instance, questions like, what's a thought? All of this is just mind-boggling. And it's clear why it's taking so many scientists so many decades of work to even scratch the surface. I have another hard question for you. Okay. Do you think a human being is even capable of understanding the brain? What if it's too complicated to understand? That's a great question, and one that I've heard brought up before by neuroscientists in this very meta way. Can the brain understand itself? I don't know. <laughs> right. I asked Saskia this question, too. Is a singular human brain capable of understanding the brain as opposed to is a, is a collection of human brains capable of understanding the brain? And I think that those might be different questions, right? We learn a lot, not just through the neural processes of learning, but through our interactions with other people and through conversations and collaboration and, um, you know, me working on one question and you working on another question and us seeing where those questions um, intersect. I do kind of believe in the collective human ability to understand the human brain while it's not like I think it's impossible for the human brain to understand the human brain, but um, I think 
where that's going to happen is through the, that collective um, work. Scientists coming together for a collective understanding of the brain. Yeah, it takes a village to understand the brain, something like that. At least a village of brains. I'm Rob Piercy. I'm Rachel Tampa. For more Lab Notes episodes and other science news, visit our website, alleninstitute.org. Thanks for listening.